0: Hello, and welcome to the Biotech 2050 podcast. Biotech 2050 is a think tank chronicling the disruptions changing the biotech industry over the next several decades. Check out our website at biotech2050.com or on your favorite podcast listening platform. I'm Rahul Chaturvedi, co-founder of this podcast and today's host. I'm also the founder and CEO of Clora. Clora is solving the biotech industry's talent crisis by organizing and providing access to worldwide life sciences expertise. You can check us out at clora.com. I'm excited to welcome Mike Clunin, president and CEO of Siona Therapeutics. Thanks for joining us today, Mike. Thanks Rahul, pleasure to be here. Great, so Mike, to kick us off, walk us through the arc of your career, where you've been and how you got to where you are today.
1: Yeah, thanks Rahul. I've got over 20 years of experience in biotech and healthcare. My journey started back at Bain & Company as a strategy consultant, where I focused on healthcare and pharma companies and it gave me the itch and the bug. I really enjoyed that industry and the impact on patients, and after you know, being on a bunch of different companies and working on through some of their problems and strategic challenges, I felt like it's an area I wanted to settle into. And so I jumped into biotech and my first company was Biogen. I actually started with Biogen back in 2003. And at the time, Biogen was a $6 billion market cap, you know, smaller company at that time, but had marketed products, but was really thrilled to get into the space and to work in a company that was focused on MS and other challenging diseases. I actually joined sort of a finance business development kind of strategy role, which was a good landing spot for me based on my prior experience, right, coming out of Bain. And it was a great opportunity to learn the business, right, starting on the business side, growing up through Biogen, working several years on some of the the tougher business challenges that existed within Biogen. And as I stayed three or four years in that capacity, I then moved into the commercial side of the business. I really found an opportunity where I could start to build my general management skills, and I moved into what was called the Patient Services Organization in the US, which was customer-facing organization that dealt specifically with the patients, how to get started on a therapy, how to stay on a therapy, how to educate and provide services that, to help patients through their journey, specifically on MS at the time, and then eventually hemophilia. But it was really a great opportunity for me to get close to the patient with that role. And it really opened up a whole different perspective for me around what we were doing and the impact that we could have for people with different diseases. And so from there, I moved through the commercial track, right? So it was in patient services. Then I got moved over to a general management role running Australia and New Zealand. So I was really sort of the president of the two countries, had a chance to move over for three years. And it was one of the best experiences, both personally and professionally. As I moved over with my wife and my four young children at the time, and we just had a, a tremendous opportunity to grow as a family, but also the experiences I had professionally were really transformational for me at that time. So stayed there for three years, got almost like a, a mini CEO type of experience there because you had all the functions reporting in. And then I came back to the U.S. three years later and went back in the commercial organization, more the global organization where I was supporting Europe on some of the launches and thinking through our global strategy of the pipeline programs. And then my last role within Biogen was I headed up the U.S. business, the president of the U.S. business, which at that time was a $7 billion revenue business focused on MS, hemophilia. And we also launched Benraza, the rare disease for spinal muscular atrophy. So great experience. That was 14 years of a run at Biogen, really developed so many different skill sets and couldn't be more thrilled with the experience and the caliber of the people that I worked with and the quality of the people at Biogen was tremendous. But at that time, I felt like I was ready for the next stage. 14 years at one company, experienced a lot. And I had an opportunity to go join Sage Therapeutics, which was focused on CNS and and specifically postpartum depression, major depressive disorder, Parkinson's, other diseases, but came in as the chief operating officer to support them in their growth as they were moving from a clinical stage company to a commercial stage company. And I was able to leverage a lot of that experience I just mentioned coming out of Biogen to help you know Sage make its strategic choices, grow the business, evolve the organization, and transform itself from again what was a clinical stage company to a commercial stage, had a great experience there, worked in that role for four years and got to the point where again, as that COO starting to feel like I think I'm getting close to being ready to take on the next big step, which was CEO. And that was always the goal that I had in mind was to get to that level and be a CEO of a, an upstart company. And that's where Siona comes in. So the company I'm at today, Siona Therapeutics. I joined them back in the middle of 2021. Siona is focused on cystic fibrosis. And why I joined outside of the, the role of the CEO, what really attracted me to Siona was this the focus on cystic fibrosis, which I knew a little bit about and had some background in, but just the level of differentiation of the science at Siona was very compelling. We have a, a different target that we're going after in this space that could be really best in class. It's first in class as well but it could be very differentiated and transformational for patients in the care of cystic fibrosis. So what really attracted me was the science, the history of Siona. It actually spun out of Sanofi by way of Genzyme. The technology and the science is over a decade worth of investment. Over a hundred million dollars was invested in the science before it ever spun out as Siona. So it had this rich history and depth to it as before I joined. And then the third part that was really compelling for me is, again, given the experience I had through Biogen and Sage and building these really strong cultures, I wanted to be a part of from the very beginning, joining a a smaller company that you could establish a culture from the very beginning that could inspire and attract key talents and something you could be proud of to be a part of from the very beginning. So it's been exactly what I had hoped for leveraging all the experience I had along the way between Bane, Biogen, and Sage. And now on my Siona journey, it's been a great ride and really looking forward to the future at Siona. Awesome. Thanks, Mike.
0: To take a step back, I'm curious to hear your perspective on some of the larger companies that you've worked at and then going to Sage. For our listeners, when's the right time, in your opinion, to start to build out a commercial team and hire a commercial leader?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, Rahul. So I'd say, so different diseases could be different stages, right? So there's, it's not necessarily formulaic. It's to say, here's the exact right time to do it. Sometimes you got to start earlier based on how much maybe disease awareness you have to build or the, the knowledge of the industry. If it's if it's a new space, you may have to do some additional work. But I'd say typically you want to get what I would say is sort of that entering of phase three is when you really start to build out the commercial infrastructure. Right? Before that, you can start to have I'd say a lower level investment in commercial. You you want integration of commercial and R&D even earlier than that, but you don't have to build out the large infrastructure really until you've de-risked the programs and you can see sort of that path to commercialization. But I'm a big believer philosophically of extremely strong integration between commercial and R&D. Right, and the more Mm -hmm. you can integrate that, and the earlier you can integrate that to have that full life cycle from our transitioning to D, transitioning to commercial, the more integration you have, I think the more successful the launch is going to be. But I'd say that's where you really see the buildup of the commercial organization, medical affairs as well, is in sort of that later stage, phase three. And then obviously upon approval, right, that's when you'll start to add the sales force and grow the organization that way. But again, I think it's important to start really thinking about what you know about the space you're launching into, how much work you got to do to prepare yourself and the company to launch if it's your first launch versus you know, a second or third launch, there's a difference mm. in how you have to think about that as well, because every company, you know, if it's a first time launch, which it was for Sage, companies have to learn how to launch products, right? Yeah. You, know, you hire people who know how to launch, right? They, they come with experience, they've launched products. So you can find and bring talent together that has done it individually. But for companies, you have to collectively figure out how you launch and how you build the, that muscle memory into the company itself, right? So, yeah. so again, very different as a first time launch than as a repeat launch. Yeah, great. Thanks, Mike. This is your first time being a CEO. And you
0: mentioned, you know, you had rich experience uh, in Australia and New Zealand and some of your other roles as well that trained you well for this. I'm curious, what's been one of perhaps the non-obvious learnings or surprises for you in stepping into the CEO role for the first time?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. You try to prepare yourself with the experiences you had, and you leverage, you know, your experiences. You can't, you know, before you become a CEO, it's pretty hard to have touched every function and every responsibility as the CEO, right? You have the entire company reporting to you, but you try to leverage, you know, the experience you've had along the way in terms of your leadership and, you know, how you're going to build a team and the culture you want to build and decision making. I'd say that the interesting thing is, especially in a private company, as being a CEO, it's going through the fundraising process, right? So how do you raise capital? You know, the business aspect, I felt very comfortable moving into, again, how to make decisions, how to build a company and hire great people. But it was that sort of that private financing is a very different field than even public financing, which I've had some experience with. And so it was a great learning opportunity. We just recently completed our Series B financing at Siona. In the first half of the year, we raised $111 million of capital. The company's raised about $150 million since its inception. And we raised at a you know, pretty challenging time, right? It was the week before Russia invaded the Ukraine is when we finalized our deal, right? Yeah. So, Great timing uh, then. Yeah, it was, it was tough, right? We kind of saw the yeah. handwriting on the wall and the markets were sort of deteriorating as well. So we, we really got this in. And I think it's a testament to the value that Siona has and the potential that Siona has and our science and our team. That was an experience. You have to kind of go through it, right? You know, I, yeah. I talked to a lot of people. I talked to. We have a great board and great investors, and could leverage their experience and knowledge. But you kind of have to go through it again as a CEO for the first time and as a team for the first time to really get this thing all the way through. And it, ge- it gives you a lot of confidence as you think about the next series of financings you may have to do as a company.
0: Yeah, great. And you know, Mike, to that point, for perhaps the folks that are aspiring to be CEOs or currently first-time CEOs, how did you go about educating yourself? about the fundraising process, what to do, what not to do. What did that look like for you just for the benefit of our audience?
1: Yeah, there was a couple of key places, Rahul, that I turned to, right? So so one were peers and friends of mine that work in the space, either as CEOs or CFOs or other capacities that have been through it, right, on the private side that you can learn from their experiences. What are the best practices? What are the lessons learned? Every financing is slightly different, but there are definitely lessons that you can learn from others to make it that much more impactful and get through the process in a quick and meaningful way. So there was that leveraging your peer group, right? Then as I said before, we have a great board with great investors that you were able to turn to and say, given what they've seen in the marketplace, how do we think about positioning the narrative of Siona, types of investors that we think would make sense. And it was sort of a push and a pull on both sides. We had a view from as a management team, myself and the rest of my executive team in terms of the relationships we already had with some of the investors from our past lives and who we think would make sense, but also being able to leverage the experience of our internal investors around, you know, people they've talked with and who know that the story of Siona would resonate with them. So it was a combination of being able to turn to both of those people that have been through it in my seat. And then, you know, people who have been through it many, many times on the investment side, our internal investors that were a great resource for me. Great. Thanks, Mike.
0: So let's switch gears a little bit, and if you could educate us on the current environment in cystic fibrosis, you know the landscape as you see it, and perhaps the unmet need, and and what drew you to work on such an important patient population.
1: Yeah, thanks, Earl. No, d- definitely. I mean, cystic fibrosis—it's a rare disease, a genetic disease that affects over a hundred thousand people worldwide. It is a serious, oftentimes fatal disease. The, the median life expectancy to this day of cystic fibrosis is approximately 50 years old, right? So we've made a lot of advancements in CF over the last few years, but we're still at this point where the median life expectancy is still just 50 years old. And the quality of life that patients experience, it's challenging from a day-to-day perspective on how to manage CF. They have to think differently about you know, how they interact with, with others for fear of infections. If you know a little about CF, I mean, what are, the underlying cause of CF, it's a genetic disease a genetic defect that hits the CFTR protein that doesn't allow healthy mucus to form in the lungs and the pancreas and other organs and so as that mucus builds up they're more susceptible to infections in the lungs and elsewhere and it really affects their quality of life the state of CF today as i said we've made a lot of advancements in the therapeutic area but there is still an unmet need that exists again partly for that that life expectancy the quality of life that patients they have today and really the, the major gap that exists is there is a singular product today that's on the market. It is a good product for patients, but it only gets to what we call partial correction of the protein, right? So you can only get to partial correction of that protein. With our science and this target that I mentioned before, NBD1, we have the ability to correct this target in a way that's very different by correcting it the way we can through NBD1, we have the potential to fully normalize the CFTR protein for the first time for the vast majority of patients. And so what does that mean? You may be able to give patients the best chance at a normal, healthy life, right? And a different quality of life going forward. So it's really compelling and exciting. That's what ultimately drew me to Siona, was this differentiated target. NBD1 has long been considered this holy grail within CF. It's been known, it's been studied, the biology is well understood in terms of its role in the disease. And if you can correct it, again, the potential to drive efficacy much higher than where it is today for patients is significant. And so we have that potential to drive to these normalized levels of protein function that could be significantly an improvement over where patients are today. And so because of that differentiation, because of that knowledge of the target and the level of investment that I mentioned before that preceded Siona spinning out, Those were all the compelling reasons that I had to join Siona. And I see a very bright future for us as we're on the cusp now of entering the clinic in phase one. By the end of 2022, we should be in phase one and treating healthy volunteers. We're really excited about that transition from a preclinical to a clinical stage company and bringing us one step closer to helping patients. Great, Mike.
0: Yeah, it's quite interesting to hear of a biotech where there's been quite a bit of investment that's gone into de-risking the asset and certainly is really unique for an early stage biotech. I'm curious as you're now in, you know, the early stages of getting into the clinic and with your commercial mindset, what have you perhaps learned that has been new to you in terms of running a company or an org that's at that stage of development? Going back, you know, kind of to the previous question of when you start to build commercial teams and what that experience has been like for you?
1: For me, it's the, the benefit of having had the experience at Biogen and Sage and then coming to the small company, even though this is earlier stage than when I joined both Biogen and Sage. The beauty, as I mentioned before, really is this integration, right? Thinking about how are we going to ensure access to patients? How are we going to get this into the hands of patients? What's the right strategy? What's the right approach so that we can make sure both from an acceleration perspective, but then once we're on the market, how do we make sure patients can benefit from what we think is a great therapeutic option for them? And so that, that's really what we're focused on is strategically thinking about the various ways for us to get this to patients, the different ways we can structure our development plan to help patients as early as possible. And with our programs, NBD1 is, is the core. Like I said, it's this number one target that we're going after that was mm-hmm. long and considered undruggable. And we've, we're now on the cusp of drugging this in the clinic. And so for us, our strategy really is about thinking about two different options for Siona. We actually have the ability, because NBD-1 is differentiated, it actually could be added on top of the current standard of care. As a different approach, a different target that is actually complementary and synergistic with the standard of care, that's one path, right, that we could help patients as an add-on. But we're also developing beyond NBD-1 we have a pipeline of complementary correctors, modulators, or compounds that we have that when you put them with NBD1, this is where you have the potential to drive to normalized protein levels of function, right? Normalized CFTR yep. function. And so our, our strategy, and as you think about again, coming downstream commercially, is thinking about combinations of NBD1 plus other correctors in our pipeline and portfolio that could give patients another option that ultimately could drive significantly higher efficacy than what they have today.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Thanks, Mike. You know, congratulations on the recent fundraise at what now seems like it was great timing given the market conditions right now. I'd love to hear your thoughts and perspective on, you know, current market conditions and perhaps its impact or how you think investors as well as, you know, founders and CEOs should be thinking about where they make investments right now given the current environment.
1: Yeah, I think it's a great question, Rahul. I think there's obviously a lot of uh, focus right now in the capital markets and you know the state of the economy and how this is playing out and as we said we were very fortunate to raise the capital when we did which is a testament to i think the story that we have at siona back in the first half of this year but as we think forward and think from both a macro perspective in the industry and what people should be thinking about and then how it relates to siona what i would say is that in times like this when capital is being discerning right in terms of how it's being deployed i think that there's two key things that we should think about which is the level of the opportunity that's the differentiation versus the level I would say me too, right? So I think in historically, sometimes you can see a pattern where a known target, a target that's been validated, you see a rush to capital and a lot of different companies chasing the same target, right? And I think we've seen a little bit of that uh, over the last couple of years of chasing similar modalities. Whereas I think we should continue to focus on Where are those tougher targets to get at, but at the end of the day, can drive significant enhancements to patients, right? And at the end, they don't lose that innovation focus and that level of differentiation that could really be a step change from where we're at today. And that's where I feel like Siona plays in that realm. This target of NBD1, long considered undruggable, a lot of people went after it, couldn't, couldn't crack the code here we are today on the cusp of entering the clinic and the level of impact that we have the potential to make for patients is significant. And I think that's when you think about capital deployment, it's a portfolio approach, right? You got to spread your bets in a different way, but making sure we continue to focus on those areas where there is still high unmet need and a significant level of differentiation that could really change the paradigm you know, in a disease. And I think second, as I think about investors and you talk to investors and you talk to other companies, the quality of the science clearly is critical for any biotech company to be successful but just as important as the quality of the team, right? And so I think, I think investors will look at the quality of teams and can they actually execute the plan that is laid out in front of them? And I think that's where you'll see deployment of capital too. It's as much betting on the science as it is betting on strong teams. And I'm, I'm thrilled with the team that we've built at Cielo. We've attracted some very talented folks to join us in our team here with that, that share the same mission that we have, which is to transform the treatment of CF and really believe in building a world-class company and a strong culture that we can all be proud of. Great, Mike. And
0: and you joined Siona during the pandemic in 2021, right? I did. Yeah. And you obviously have been highly efficient, as indicated by your ability to fundraise. I'm curious what that experience was like for you, you know, starting as CEO, how you set the tone and the culture and any perhaps learnings or insights along the way that you're willing to share.
1: Yeah, it was interesting, right? Uh, I was at stage when the pandemic hit. And so you're already established in the company. You had your relationships, right? We adapted in really well at Sage, right? When the pandemic hit and we were still very productive, but those relationships had already been formed. I joined Siona in May of 2021, you know, while the pandemic was still going on and we were sort of still trying to figure out, are we coming back together? Are we working in a hybrid? Are we staying from home? We were fortunate in that because Siona spun out of Fe, we had a really strong scientific team that came with the spin out, right? And was established from the very beginning before I joined. And, and they were in the lab together throughout COVID. So never lost that continuity of relationships and the productivity of the experiments we were doing in the science. So I was able to leverage that and come in to a team that was already formed and was really strong. And then how do I settle in, right? How do I establish that? And as you bring new people in, what's the culture you're trying to establish? And where we focused A lot of our time is that you know we did a lot of research at sage even when i was there around what did employees want right as a result of the change with the pandemic was it temporary was there permanent changes and were there some silver linings that came out of the pandemic and the one word that i would hear all the time at sage and i continue here at siona that that employees value the most was flexibility right that's what i think the pandemic opened up the world is this ability to work where you need to work from and still be productive and not have to have that face time in the office and so we embraced that at Siona was. So we call it this flexible first, this flexible environment where it's really more employee directed, right? In terms of be productive, right? And get work done, be efficient, but we'll come together when it makes sense, right? For our employees and to build the culture and and the time together where you can start to build that trust. So it was a different model, you know, when you come in during the pandemic as to how do you sort of build that culture and those relationships and do it in a way that, as I said, is, is employee friendly and what they ultimately want based on the learnings we had coming out of the pandemic. Yeah.
0: Thanks for sharing. Yeah. My, my next question was going to be about the silver linings of the pandemic, but you already covered it. So thanks. <laughs> so, Mike, before we wrap up, I'd love to ask you to reflect for a minute. And you know, given all that you've seen and the experiences that you've had along the way, what's one piece of advice that you wish you could provide your younger self?
1: Yeah, when I look back, Rahul, it's, uh, I feel very fortunate in many ways, the opportunities that I've had, you know, along my career, I had lots of, uh, lots of great mentors and people looking out for me and sort of pushing me into places that maybe I was uncomfortable initially, right, to help me grow and develop. And I'd say that's probably the biggest thing As I look back, you know, in the very early part of my career, I was probably more cautious, right, in the very early days coming out of undergrad and sort of what the path you wanted to choose and probably didn't push myself initially that much to get outside of my comfort zones. right? And I feel like that's when I have grown and I've learned the most is those times when you really are challenged. You haven't done it before. You've got to learn. You're kind of betting on yourself that you'll figure it out. And you've got great people around you to support you. That's what I would have said is like, take some risks early in your career. To really figure out what where your passions lie you know what you like and don't like what you think you can be successful at because i mean ultimately we all, we all want to do something that we have a lot of passion for and we can be successful at right that's ultimately a, a great combination it took me probably post business school coming out of business school working at bain to really start to develop that muscle of like okay push yourself get outside of your comfort zone try different things go to australia you know work in different functions that you never tried before I wish I had done that a little bit earlier in my career. And that's what I would say is, you know, don't be afraid to fail, right? Test yourself, push yourself to certain limits that, you know, you could fail, right? And it's okay if you do, because the reality is you're going to learn, I think, much more from your failures than, than you do from your successes.
0: I'm curious, Mike, you mentioned you have four kids. How do you instill that in them? Any tips that you've learned around how you get them to think that way?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I you want to practice what you preach, right? And so we talk to my kids a lot about that. My oldest is in college now, right? And so I've got three younger ones than that. But it's really talking about finding your passion, right? That's what we, my wife and I speak a lot about. Don't focus on the material aspects, like really focus on something that you think you're going to draw a lot of energy from that you can make an impact in society or, or in others. And if you do that, again, the success is going to come, right? If you find something that you're really passionate about, and it may be trial and error, right? It's okay to try something and then you realize you don't. And that's that that fear of failure. It's a really hard lesson, I think, for some folks, right? Some people may be more wired to, yeah, I'm, I'm good with trying whatever and, and sort of failing. And it's, it's yeah. bottom. I think for a lot of folks, and, and my kids included, is it's it's really embracing that you have a safety net in many ways, right? You have sort of have a, a strong family network that's going to support you and be willing to put yourself out there And I just think the level of growth that you can see if they're willing to do that is great. I mean, I was fortunate with my kids in Australia. They had to do that, right? They had to adapt when they were young and they became very adaptable and willing to deal with change. But it's a life lesson. It's a life mission that we should be on of like pushing yourself to the point of uncomfortableness that, again, that's how you grow. Like if you're safe and you're in this bubble, like that may be nice for for some folks. I tend to think push outside those boundaries and again, yeah. make yourself a little more uncomfortable and the impact you can have on so many people could be that much greater. Yeah, great.
0: Well, Mike, thanks so much for joining us today and for sharing a bit about your experience and insights and, and wishing you and your colleagues at Siona continued success as you enter the clinic.
1: Thank you, Ro. It's been a pleasure to be here with you today. I really appreciate the time to be able to talk about Siona and, and our mission and, and sort of my journey through biotech as well. Thanks, Mike.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Biotech 2050. This episode is hosted by me, Rahul Chaturvedi. It's edited and mixed by Megan Lovering. If you enjoyed this episode of Biotech 2050, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at biotech2050pod. Again, that's biotech2050pod. Until next time.